Before we jump into today's topic, I wanted to share with you our deepest gratitude to you all, listening to us from all around the world, for your feedbacks that have helped developing the podcast. It's a great learning experience and we are so very grateful for that. We really hope we help you navigate the world of purpose. We know it isn't always easy and it can raise lots of questions. Like today, we received a question from a listener. She's been working to find her purpose for years and was wondering if we had any tips on how to find it. Dear Tiziana, here are some tips from Nadia and Laurent. We have a purpose community. So for more than three years, we already developed purposes with individuals. That's part of our NGO. It's a non-profit movement. We started with children and a school in Sarajevo. And everyone who is interested can write us an email and we ask facilitators if they're willing to do it with the people who want to be part of that. And it's a process we usually do online. It just takes like three to four hours and you need another person, a pen and lots of little pieces of paper. The other person asks you, tell me about yourself. And then you just tell about yourself, about your life, what makes you happy, what drives you, what did you do as kids, what are you dreaming of, where do you find balance, uh, what gives you energy, what are uh, the most uh, happy moments in your life, and so on. So you just talk about yourself uninterruptedly. And the other person writes for whatever you say, one little piece of paper after the other. And after that round, it takes maybe half an hour, 40 minutes, and you have maybe like 200 to 300 uh, pieces of paper. You go through them one by one, and the ones where you feel joy in your heart, you put them somewhere. And then you take a whole pile with the ones where your heart said, I feel joy, and you select them again. Which of these give you more joy than the others? With these, you do something we call landscaping. So you put them on a, on a table in front of you and you make clusters. Like what are the things that go together with each other? And on the left top, there is the core of your purpose, like what really drives you, makes you most happy. And so you arrange the clusters on, on the table. And then when you're done, you tell the story. You start on the left top corner and you just tell the story, what you see in these clusters and the person that helps you writes that down. And then you read this text and you go over it and simplify it. And that's your purpose 1.0. It contains only the things that really make you happy, bring you joy. Only the things that are about you come from you. First of all, I would like to congratulate Tiziana for wanting to find her purpose. And what she describes in her question is that it is really a very difficult pursuit to do it alone. So to think your way to your purpose is really hard. So the process that Laurent described is about talking about yourself to someone who is deeply listening to you and really capturing everything you're saying in a non-judgmental way, in a very open-hearted, loving way, really caring just about you and the things that drive you. And by really having that listening space, you can just talk about yourself and put everything on the table on these little pieces of paper. And then in a way for me, it's like setting it back together again because it is out of your brain and you can touch it 
and you can feel your way to what belongs together, what makes sense to me, what's really driving me. And I think that's the magic of it. Having the space to think, to formulate, to put everything out of your brain and to put it back together in a way that makes new sense to you. Most people tell us that there is nothing new coming up in the sense of that, you know, they were surprised that they had a purpose they didn't think about, which makes sense because you are you and you follow the things that make you happy. So you know all these things, but by looking at them and combining them in a way that is surprising and by elevating the things that are more important to you and really making them visible and giving them importance. That's what the process is all about. I hope this was useful. As said, developing your purpose isn't something you should do alone. That's why we have a community of purpose-driven people that can help you with yours. I have linked in the description the link to the community webpage so you can get to know it. Anybody interested in developing their purpose and helping others to do so are free to join. And now, without any further ado, let's dive into today's topic. Trust. In a lot of companies, Trust is based on fear of being punished for violating trust, but also on the rewards one receives from preserving it. Hopefully, it is not the only way trust is built, and more and more, other models of trust building are fighting their way into teams and companies. Finding trust in others is recognizing the value of trustworthiness. It can apply to people you work with, but also more broadly, to the company you're in and the values and beliefs they uphold. So how do you tackle trust? You cannot directly tackle trust because it's something you feel or you don't feel. And if you don't feel it, nothing could convince you. But through experience, through realizing that you're in a safe space, that everybody wants the best, that you're welcome, the topic fades away. Trusting someone is first a feeling you acquire through various experiences, allowing you to understand how this person works. And to understand how someone operates, we need to know how this person behaves in given circumstances. But instead of just guessing and falling in misunderstanding, Nadia and Laurent developed a useful tool that helps everyone in a team understand each other. For me, it has a lot to do with knowing the other people well and understanding how they operate the workshop uh, that we do about creating your own user manual like how do i function um helps others to understand why maybe they feel like they can't trust you but in the end it's only that you do things differently so if people have to trust in each other that things will get done mostly in the context of work and there, um, it's probably often a misunderstanding that you think I can't trust you to get this done, but we actually mean you're not doing it the way I would do it. It's really just understanding how the other person operates and what they need in order to get the job done. And building that kind of trust is equally important, I think. The My User Manual Workshop helps create a knowledge-based trust. 
If everybody knows how you function, it helps them build trust towards you, because they know what to expect from you. It doesn't need to be a novel about yourself. See it more like a guide that you can present to others. But there is another tool that helps deepen the trust-building process. We have a big workshop that we called Trust. It's the Team Purpose Workshop. And why did we call it Trust? Because the feedback from team leaders and from the people was that through that workshops, we trust each other. We believe that we can do it. As a team, we can do anything. And they also become more self-confident because they realize, ah, oh, we are a real team. We have different skills. We are different and that's okay. People share their perspectives and they really understand each other better. And because everybody has to give their own answer, they're curious about the answers of the others and they realize, oh my God, I tried to give the best possible answer, but I forgot about this and about that and I didn't know this. So they really experience the advantage of a team. And because they experience that the other people know a lot, they trust them more to be able to contribute. We had um, a statement from the team leader at the end of the workshop saying, hmm, today I realized I don't have the best ideas. What does that make? Uh, what, what, does, what is the effect of that? So the team, the, the people of the, of the team realize, wow, now he trusts us because they found out that we have lots of ideas and perspectives and we can decide for ourselves. And for the team leader, it means I can trust the team. I can focus on other stuff. I don't have to micromanage. Realizing that everybody acts for the best of what the collective wants and aspires to effectively consolidates a strong sense of trust, which ultimately gives everyone autonomy. If you can trust that others have also good ideas, if you can trust that others can also do a good job, probably you're also leading an easier life, right? You're having less of this idea that only you can fix it. And uh, I think that's very healthy. But there's maybe also um, another side of the medal um, because trust is such a big word. I think it's also... Um, happening sometimes that people use it as a kind of excuse. So, you know, uh, we often hear like, there is no trust or just, it just has to be trust. And sometimes I suspect what they mean is like, just leave me alone and let me do my thing. And that's not really cool for collaboration. So I think in that case, we have to establish, maybe not by talking, but by, by demonstrating, by doing that the team can actually trust each other, but that also not everybody can just do whatever they want because otherwise you're not a team. So I think this is a very, it's a murky kind of uh, ground there because easily you can say, just trust me, <laughs> just leave me alone, just let me do my thing. Sometimes we encounter teams that are more like a group. So they have like six individuals working next to each other asking each other, just leave me alone and just trust me. But that is not real collaboration. So I think we mean a different kind of trust when we start working together. It's really more about understanding how we function and how we can interact with each other. We saw that trust can be based on fear, but also on understanding. When fear lives to give space to understanding, it creates a safe space. Within that safe space, with everybody conscious about each other, a third tool comes into play. If you have a purpose 
just talking about that purpose and what everybody means by that in being in that safe space or that psychologically safe space where you can say, look, the decision I took last week that nobody liked was totally on purpose. And I'm explaining you now why I see it that way. And everybody listens to me and says like, oh, okay, I, I can totally understand why where you're coming from and why you took that decision. Or if we have an agreement that is also a tool, uh, the team establishes an agreement how to collaborate and someone doesn't honor that agreement. Instead of blaming each other, we can just say, look, um, can we talk about this agreement point? I have the feeling we have different interpretations of it. Like, did you feel like th th you, you did uh, work with that agreement or not? And then the person can explain and everybody can say like, oh, I think I see it differently. And let, let's see how we really, what we really mean with um, being respectful to each other or whatever is in our agreement. And that also creates trust because you can see that it's not black and white. It's not, you know, it's not a rule you have to follow, but it's like a principle or the spirit of this agreement has to live or of this purpose. And when people then use these tools and talk about them and, and incorporate them into their daily discussions, mainly about decision making or whether we do this project or that project, um, that really helps because you can see that there is space for interpretation as long as we all follow the principles and we want the same in general. In its early stages, trust is fragile. Even with a user manual, a team purpose and an agreement, it requires practice. This practice is led on the observation and the confirmation of someone's consistency through their acts. Sometimes trust gets destroyed by, by a minor action and the person who did it even didn't notice. And that's a misunderstanding. Something in a team meeting happens and somebody says something very direct in their very own words. And you feel so hurt because you put all your love in something and, and you, you feel like this person hates you and whatever you do is useless. And you're just shocked. You cannot say anything. And the other person just gave a feedback and didn't notice that you totally lost trust in yourself and trust in this person and you think that this person hates you. We can't always avoid conflicts. Disagreements happen. And it's normal. But it can be prevented or handled in a way that helps find a common ground quicker by addressing frustrations and doubt directly and thus preventing trust to be betrayed. So in that case, when we work with teams, we tell them, don't wait until you have a proper conflict. Get used to every week in your team meeting that you talk about tensions. And the tension can come from yourself. Like, hey, I don't feel well today because I couldn't sleep for two days. So I'm a bit strange today. I don't have enough uh, patience. Or, hey, in the last team meeting, I was so frustrated because when X did that, I felt Y. And I was so frustrated afterwards. And I just wanted to let you know there, I, I, yeah, I, th that's how I felt. So the team can understand it better. You have to take care that misunderstandings do not destroy trust. You know, I think tr trust being destroyed if someone, I don't know, if someone steals from every team member every week, yeah, trust is probably destroyed. But that's not the kind of trust we're talking about here. We're talking about addressing things that 
may put into question that trust that is built. And trusting someone isn't a straightforward process. It takes time, courage, and also a lot of care. And it isn't always easy to do so, but worth the risk. If you don't trust, if you're a skeptical person, nothing positive can come out of that. But if you trust, many good things can come out of that. Maybe you get hurt once or twice, but it's, it's like love. If you were disappointed, if you, if you had a bad experience in love, and the next time you don't fall in love again because you're, you, you try to be skeptical, you try to be protecting yourself, well, you will not experience love again. Like you have to risk it, you have to trust it. If not, you will not have this positive experience. For me, it has also very much to do with generosity. Like many things, it has to do with just being generous with your trust. You know, not being overly careful. Over it. The only way to, to live and to collaborate and to, to be with others is to trust. And yes, of course, you will experience bad things from time to time and you will lose the trust in someone maybe and something will go wrong. But I think you have to be generous with your trust. As Nadia and Laurent demonstrated, a lot of different tools are available to help build trust between people in a team at work. First, there is the user manual that works as a guide to understand how somebody operates. Then the team purpose, steering everybody in the same direction. And lastly, agreements, so everybody knows in what framework decisions can be made. All these methods take time to implement. Trust is first and foremost a commitment. And you may face obstacles such as disagreements, but dear, it's a process that takes time, kindness, generosity, and courage. Thank you for listening. You can find all my references in the episode's description. This was the last episode of the season, but worry not that I am preparing an extra episode for the summer. Spoiler alert, it will be an in-depth analysis on what purpose is. As always, we are open for questions. And really, do not hesitate. It makes us very happy to read you and craft bespoke answers for your personal situations. For now, my dears, I wish you a great summer. See you next time.